Hello, everybody, and welcome inside the What You Need to Know podcast. I am Tyson Ewing, the play-by-play voice of Utah women's basketball, and joined by my radio analyst, Miley Enger. This is the What You Need to Know podcast that focuses on all things University of Utah women's basketball. We'll take an in-depth look at what's going on in the program. All right, Tyson Ewing, Miley Enger, we come back with a return episode of the What You Need to Know podcast. Last week, we talked about the non-conference regular season as we uh, went into depth. Utah finished that non-conference regular season going nine and three getting ready for Pac-12 play today we're going to talk about that Pac-12 play so Miley where I really want to start out with here in this episode today is there was kind of the transition period like we talked about if you remember we ended the podcast talking about the strange transition of how we had five canceled or postponed games that led to the final non-conference regular season game but what kind of stuck out to you as you kind of think back to the non-conference regular season just really quickly on really what we were expecting from this Utah team following that non-conference schedule. I think what we were expecting is that we didn't know what to expect, if that makes any sense at all. But we talked about how Utah beat the teams that they were supposed to beat. They went through and they beat teams that didn't make the NCAA tournament this past season. But when you looked at the higher level, higher competition teams, they had some close games that they couldn't get that hump win. So when we start the Pac-12 conference, We didn't know, honestly, what to expect because this team was young. They didn't have much of, or if any, experience at all. So we throw this team in not knowing what they were going to do. So let's talk about that postponement real quick because that's kind of what kicked everything off. If you remember, Utah finished that regular season playing Oklahoma. Psych! They ended up not finishing their non-conference regular season against Oklahoma, and that is because they had game after game get postponed and canceled. To kind of break that down just a little bit, you go all the way back to December 31st, New Year's Eve. Utah was scheduled to play at Oregon, and then from there go to Corvallis to take on Oregon State. Now, I was already out there because... I was covering for the University of Utah men's team because Bill Riley, the play-by-play voice for the men's team, was, you know, he was kind of doing some other things, a.k.a. he was at the Rose Bowl. So he was unable to make those games, and I covered for him. So I expected to have four games in four days, and I was actually really excited about that. But then right before, literally the day that I was scheduled to fly out to Oregon, we got the word that the game was canceled. And that kind of set everybody off in a whirlwind of like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? As we later found out, that was the start of everybody coming back from Christmas holiday. And I'm not quite sure where exactly the virus came from, but it made its way through basically the entire team to where a lot of people were affected. And because of it, they had four straight games that were canceled or postponed because of COVID within the Utah program. So you start with the Oregon game, the Oregon State game. Those games didn't happen. Then as we continue, we're prepping for the USC-UCLA games. And then we get word the day before that Utah's still not ready to play, that they are still being hit by the COVID bug. And then (laughs) we prep for the Cal game, thinking that that was going to be the first game of conference play to find out that the COVID bug had made its way into the Cal program. So five games postponed at the beginning. And that's where Utah season begins on Sunday, January 16th against the defending national champions of Stanford. All right, so January 16th, the day Utah finally was able to get their first conference game of the season against, like you just mentioned, the defending champion, Stanford Cardinal. Before we talk about that game, I'd love to kind of get your feelings to this point, to where 
you rewind. I met you back on December the 18th at the, uh, at the UVU game, and I told you that I really would need somebody to come and help me um, broadcast as Amanda was moving on to the, to the TV side. And you were, and you know, you had told me that you'd never done it before, but I still was like, okay, that's that's all right. I still want you to come on the air with me. I'm sure you were getting pretty excited as it was leading up to it. Your first game was scheduled to be the 7th of January against UCLA, then it was postponed. The 9th of January against UC, uh, against USC, postponed. Then we think, okay, finally, she's gonna get her first experience, it's gonna be against Cal before we have to take on the defending champions, and like you just mentioned, game didn't happen. We talked in the last podcast about how Coach Roberts was able to build a game out of thin air, but we were not able to broadcast that game, so you were postponed just a little bit longer. How was that going for you as you were preparing for your first time on the air? Well, obviously I was excited to get on the air for the first time with you, and at the same time I was a little nervous. So I think the more that the postponements happen, I think the nerves continued to build in just because I was like, when is this game going to happen? Because I drove up to your house, we prepped for the Cal game, thinking that that was going to happen, but it didn't. So at the same time, it was a little frustrating, but I think Cal would have been a nice first game because they weren't the greatest team this past year or in the previous year, so it would have been a nice kind of first game test run, but nope. (laughs) First game, Stanford. (laughs) Yes, indeed, the Stanford Cardinal, the first game of the non-conference regular season. And I don't know if you remember this game really well, because I know you said, like you said, you were a little bit nervous about your first on-air experience. But what I remember is that Utah controlled that first half of that game, and they looked like they were going into that half of that game with a lot of momentum. And you just thought, oh my goodness, like we're seeing a really, really good basketball team right here. And they've put the national champions on notice here in their first conference game of the season. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought that Utah had that 24-day gap between games, but Like you said, Utah came out in that first half and kind of dominated and controlled the game. They led by as much as 13 midway through the second quarter. And Stanford wasn't expecting Utah to come out and play that way and give them the battle that they did. We did see the national champions, though, came through in the second half and kind of just ran Utah ragged as as their defense clamped down. And they went on a huge run in the second half and ended up winning that game 83-73. It then led to Utah's first road trip of the regular season exactly one month after their last road trip, which was at Oklahoma, where they traveled to the Arizona schools to take on Arizona on January 21st and Arizona State on January the 23rd. That was our first road trip as well. We ended up going on five total road trips on the year you and I did, but that was our first one. And it was about as messy as you can possibly imagine in the sense that we get to the arena for the Arizona game that day. We load our equipment up. We start to turn everything on. Only problem was it wasn't turning on our broadcast equipment. Um, for some reason, the cable to our um, to our box wasn't working, and so <laughs> we had to come up with something on the fly while we were sitting courtside uh, at that Arizona game. Now, big shout out to Olivia Benyon back in Salt Lake City who was on the phone trying to help figure out different ways to get us on the air. Unfortunately, though, Miley, I was the only one that was able to get on the air, even though it was supposed to be our first road trip of the year. Well, I got a front row seat to the game, so that was good. <laughs> Considering that you were that was supposed to be your first road game of the year, it didn't quite work out very well. We ended up calling that game, or I ended up calling that game, through Google Hangouts that transmitted back to the station 
through the internet. It was honestly crazy. Um, but speaking of that game specifically, that was the game that Utah, right before the half, they hit that big turnover bug. As soon as Arizona switched to that full court press, Utah turned the ball over at will. Arizona went on a huge run, and Utah couldn't quite um, come back in that second half, despite great play in the second half. It's just they, they fell way too far behind in that second quarter. Utah for the game had a total of 22 turnovers, which led to a total of 21 points for Arizona off those turnovers. And like you mentioned already, it was that second quarter. Arizona put on that full court press. Utah could not find a way to break that press. And it just seemed it was just turnover after turnover, which led to layup after layup. And the score kind of ballooned, and Utah never could get back in the game. Now, they couldn't sit and stew on it very much longer because in less than 36 hours later, they played against Arizona State. Uh, And that was a game Utah came out red hot to start that first quarter. They jumped out to a huge 21-4 lead in that first quarter. They flirted with giving that lead up in that second half, but were able to hold strong. And that, Miley, was the first game you were able to broadcast on the road, albeit very, very strange because we had a single standalone microphone and two pairs of headphones, and we just simply had to pass the microphone uh, to each other. But Utah did win that game at Arizona State. That first quarter is what led Utah to that win, even though it got down to just a six-point lead in that fourth and final quarter. But Utah did shoot extremely well in that first half. For the game, they had nine threes, and the first half performance led them to a victory. So that was their first conference win of the season. They're now sitting one and two on the Uh, conference regular season. Now, it was around that time that it was announced that Utah would be going to Oregon to play in that makeup game all the way back from December 31st. So they then traveled to Oregon to take on the Ducks, going one and two at that point and looking for just any type of win whatsoever. It wasn't going to be easy against a really good Oregon team. Uh, And if you remember, that was the game that Peyton McFarland went down early and she was not able to compete the rest of the game, only had played four minutes in that game. Now, Miley, if you think back, this Cal State Fullerton game all the way up until that Oregon game, she was in a mighty groove. She was 7-7 against Cal State, 3-3 against Utah Valley, 7-12 against Oklahoma, 5-6 against UC Riverside, struggled a little bit, 3-7 against Stanford, 5-7 against Arizona, um, 2-6 did have eight points against Arizona State. But that was the game. Like I said, she went down early, and that kind of took away that post-presence of Peyton McFarland very, very early going. And against somebody like Niera Saboli, it's not easy to do. And we failed to mention in the Stanford game, that's when Andy Torres went down. Thank you. So the post-presence for Utah was just diminishing. So you had Andy go down in the Stanford game. You had Peyton go down early in this Oregon game, which led the emergence of Kelsey Reese who was not getting many minutes before this game. She had one game against Gonzaga where she had over 20 minutes. But other than that, everything was less than 20 minutes. So Peyton goes down early in the first quarter. Kelsey has to step up and play the rest of the game because she was the only center. And that was that, you know, that next man up mentality that Coach Roberts always preaches about. Kelsey had to step up. There was no other option at that point because Peyton went down. And it thrust Kelsey into, hey, you're going to have to play big-time minutes. And you felt in that Oregon game she did a really good job. But Oregon at that point was just a little bit too much for Utah to where Utah did have their chances. Let's let's not forget. Utah was in that game neck and neck the entire way. They had their chances. It was an offensive rebound that kind of put that game away off a free throw. 
and was it before or after? I believe it was just before that, a wide open corner three that kind of put the dagger in Utah, um, and they fell to one and three on the regular season. All right, so Utah, again, in the midst of that five games in nine day stretch, they then took on the Colorado Buffaloes in what was going to be a game at Salt Lake City and then a return game on that next Sunday at Colorado. Now, this was the game that we saw the emergence of Deja Young and that three-point shot. Oh, my goodness. If you recall, we had that stat that we played really throughout the entire conference season. It was Deja started the season shooting roughly about 30% from the three-point line. She had a stretch against these two uh, Colorado teams where she went 9 of 13, but it was this game against Colorado to where she started out on fire, and kind of that led to what we saw the rest of the year for Deja. Deja, before this game, wasn't getting a lot of minutes on the court. She got hurt in the preseason against Eastern Illinois after she collided with someone, and she's just roughly playing about 20 minutes a game, but because of injuries, like we just mentioned, she had to step up and they found an answer with Deja and the, her shooting ability. She had a stretch over the next seven games, starting with Colorado, where she went 19 of 31 from beyond the arc. If you're curious, that is a very good percentage, 61% from beyond the arc during a seven-game stretch. Miley, that is elite status right there. And if you remember talking to her after one of the games, she was a shooter at her previous school at Middle Tennessee, and then she came to Utah, and that role wasn't the same for her. So she knew once Andy went down, she'd have to kind of step up and fill in that shooting role. So that's when she started going to the gym a lot, getting a lot of extra reps up, getting that her shot back. And it showed through the next couple games and in this stretch where she was on fire. So going back to that Colorado game, Utah um, led pretty much throughout the entire second half. After they fell behind early, they fell behind by as many as nine in that first half. Kind of went on a run in that second quarter, which we can talk about second quarters being good to Utah all season long. They were great in the third quarter and faltered in that fourth quarter, and then which led to their first overtime game of the season. Utah in the fourth quarter, after leading by as many as eight, committed eight turnovers, which several of those came at the end of the game where they just couldn't get the ball inbounds on the sideline. They had the ball... On the left sideline, I think it was three opportunities to three. get the ball in, yep. and they failed to every single time. Then it goes into overtime. Utah then commits another two turnovers, and Colorado's defense just became too much for Utah. In the overtime, Utah would falter to the Colorado Buffaloes and fall 66-62, to which dropped them to 1-4 and four in conference play. It was at this time that we kind of started to get a little bit worried about this team because this was a team that we talked about in the non-conference in our last episode about they had a brand new style of play coming in, and it was so efficient and so effective against their non-conference opponents. But then they hit that buzzsaw once they started with this Pac-12, uh, the Pac-12 opponents that it just became incredibly hard for them to be able to stop opponents and to score the way that they were scoring in non-conference. However, Miley, you think about it. Their first five games of the not, or of the regular season was against the defending champion Stanford Cardinal, last year's runner-up in the Arizona Wildcats, the national runner-up. They then went to Arizona State, got their first win of the season at a then-ranked Oregon Ducks, and then closed it out with a then-ranked Colorado Buffalo team as well. So they kind of ran to the gauntlet right out of the gates. They did not come out and look very strong against their first five opponents. 
I think the discussion also became, can Utah finish out games? Because they would get an early lead that they would not be able to hold through the fourth quarter to the end of the game. So you look at the four losses they had at the beginning of their conference schedule, they lost by an average of seven and a half points a game. That's not a lot. That's a couple possessions. That's hitting in a, a couple threes, getting a couple more stops. Seven and a half points isn't a lot. So it became, can Utah finish out a game? Now that led to a discussion that I had with head coach Lynn Roberts prior to the Colorado game at Colorado. Because like you said, Utah was in this habit of getting leads in the first half and then faltering in the second half. So I asked her specifically about what she was doing and how they could change that. Take a listen to what Coach Roberts had to say about giving up those leads and what she said to her team right after that first Colorado game. I think we have a great group of young players that are talented, uh, that are good enough to make the tournament, that are good enough to win games in this league. Um, and we've put together some great first half, some good game plans they bought in. And then you have a lead on the road against whoever, Oregon or whatever at halftime. And then suddenly you start playing a little bit for time to expire. You want, you know, you're playing not to lose. You're fearful of losing. Um, and then that's how you play. And conversely, in the other locker room, you know, they're, they're not gonna, these teams are too good and they're too well coached. You know, they're not going to go away and be like, oh, shucks, Utah's good today. Uh, so they come out with some piss and vinegar, for lack of a better way to say it, excuse my language. Uh, and our kids get a little bit nervous and they screen a little bit softer and they box out a little bit lighter and they shoot a little more tentatively and they close out a little softer. And so we got to toughen up. And that was the message to the team. Um, you know, you got to play fearless for 40 minutes. If you're worried about losing, uh, it's going to happen. So, um, yes, that, I mean, that was, I, I came at them productively, but I challenged them pretty hard yesterday that, uh, we need to fix that and fix it now. And now that is head coach Lynn Roberts talking about that. And I tell you what, Miley, that uh, that was, to me, that was the turnaround game of the season. Now, if you recall, the end of that Colorado game at home, Drew Gilton went down early in that fourth quarter, and we got a little bit worried because last year she sat out six games due to a hip flexor. Now, when she got hurt against Colorado, it was all the way down at the opposite end of the court from where we were sitting. She went down and she was grabbing that hip. And so initially you thought, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong with her hip. She did come back in that game, but she was ruled out of the road game at Colorado. So the Utes would have to get the job done without their senior point guard, Drew Gilton. And Miley, they did just that. I think what was cool about this Colorado win was that Utah got it done with their underclassmen. They started three freshmen with Inesh, Gianna, and Jenna, and then two sophomores in Kennedy and Kelsey. So we talked about the lack of experience, but Coach Roberts had trust in her underclassmen to get the job done. She threw them on the court and ended up getting a 78-67 win against Colorado at Colorado in a game that they led the entire time. So wire to wire against a very good Colorado team. That's what we saw from Colorado the entire non-conference. They were they were spectacular on the brink of the top 25. And Utah, as you just mentioned, go in with their young core without their senior point guard and get the job done. I remember on the bus ride back that day just how excitable the team was. How I felt as though at that point that something was about to change. 
And that's exactly what happened. Because like I said, that game was the game that shifted the entire season for Utah. They started 1-4, and four, and then they win this game at Colorado. They get the confidence they need as, dare I say, their schedule started to light up just a little bit. And they took full advantage of it as well as they won three consecutive home games. They get past Washington, even though that was a pretty tight game. Washington hadn't won a game up to that point. It was tight throughout, but Utah did squeak away with the victory. They started to blow out Washington State, going up by 19 entering the fourth quarter before the uh, before the Washington State Cougars made a bit of a run and nearly cut into that, or they cut into that lead, couldn't quite overcome the mountain. Utah did hold on for a six-point win, and then they blew out U.S. And what was another makeup game for Utah as they made up the original, I believe it was January 9th game against USC in a game that was their best offensive performance since joining the Pac-12 conference against a Pac-12 opponent. 91 points against USC, which was the most points that Utah has ever scored in a Pac-12 game as they blew past the Trojans by 22 points. Up until this point, both of us said that the USC game was the most complete game that Utah played in this season. They came out shooting 31 of 61 and 14 of 31 from deep. Everything seemed to fall for Utah as they held USC to just 37% shooting in the game and 17% from deep. So doing it from all facets, doing it on the offensive end, doing it on the defensive end, and controlling every aspect of that game. That was a 2 o'clock game right in the middle of the day, right in the middle of the week. Kind of a strange game to, you know, kind of a strange time to have the game. But uh, Utah did get the job done, and at that point, they were on a four-game winning streak. They'd come all the way back from starting the season one and four, and they then became an above 500 team moving to five and four as they prepared for a rematch at the Stanford Cardinal. It was at this point though, once they got to five and four, where we started talking about the possibilities of going to the NCAA tournament because we heard Coach Rob say the whole season that this team is capable of reaching the tournament, that that was their goal this whole season. And then after they beat USC and they were five and four, both of us said if they could stay above 500 and get a couple more wins the rest of the season, that it would be guaranteed that they'd make it to the NCAAs. Well, Miley, as obviously did happen, you know, not that we're going to try to give this away, but in a, in a way, we already know what happened with the regular season. Utah did go on to make the NCAA tournament and uh, even made a little bit of noise while they were in there. We will get to that on a little bit later in another episode. But by this point, Miley, we'd started to see the establishment of, of, of certain players. Gianna kind of became that typical go-to player as she was averaging upwards of about 12 points per game going into that Stanford game. At this point, if you recall, Jenna Johnson, who had a terrific non-conference season, was kind of in a little bit of a slump herself and was having some issues leading into this one with uh, with her foot, did not play in that USC game. Utah, at this point, you could kind of see they were struggling a little bit with trying to keep people healthy, but they already had kind of established their players. And like I said, Jenna Neepkins figuring out who she was. And how about the emergence of as we continue to go down the line of, you know, just the players that were making major impacts, the emergence of Kennedy McQueen, who had a career-high 22 points as she finished with four assists, four rebounds, seven of eight from the floor, and six of seven from the three-point line. Miley, that is efficiency. You know how much I love efficiency and efficient shooting. So to see Kennedy have this seven of eight game for 22 points, and then to see it kind of continue the rest of the season, we're going to X out that Stanford game because no one really played tremendously well against Stanford. 
But then you go down. She played Cal 7 of 14. She had other games, including Oregon State 4 of 8. Oregon 3 of 6. Cal 4 of 10. Kennedy did have a couple good games in the preseason where she put up 20 points, 15 and 14. But in her first 17 games of the season, she averaged just 8 points. It was after this Cal game and then the last 13 games where she upped her average to 12 points and became one of those go-to players that Utah could rely on for great offense. And because of her efficient play, especially down the stretch following that USC game, averaged just shy of 12 points per game in her last 13 games. That led to her earning honorable mention honors for the Pac-12 conference, which was awesome for you know for Kennedy and she was also on the ballot for most improved player of the year which a lot of us feel like she should have deserved um, especially with her incredible defensive play that we saw from her Um, but I feel at this point this 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 was the opportunity for Kennedy to come out of her shell and become the player that I think she knew she could be coming to the University of Utah now another really impressive thing that you that we tend to kind of forget about is the fact that Drew Gilton missed all four of these games in which Utah you know, we were a little bit worried what was going to happen coming into these four games because I had heard rumors that Drew was probably not going to be back until at least the Stanford game. And so that was four consecutive games that Utah would have to do this without Drew. And they passed with flying colors, winning all four games. And honestly, you look at the play of Izzy Palmer and Inesh Vieta combined. There were a couple of games in between the two where they shared that point guard role. But they did just enough to get the job done for Utah and help them to get those four wins. And to me, Miley, it was so cool to see how those two collectively stepped up, knowing they were going to have to play that role, especially for Izzy, who was kind of playing a little out of position because Izzy's not necessarily the true point guard. She's more of a shooting guard type. But you felt as though, you know, obviously they uh, they helped get the wins, but you feel like they did a really good job of filling in for Drew when frankly they had no choice and they had to. Yeah, when Drew went out, I remember having a conversation with you about the previous season when Drew went out and how they didn't have a point guard that they could rely on. And that's when things kind of went south for the Utes during the 2020-2021 season. Lots of 20s there. (sighs) Mouthful. But that's because they didn't have a point guard. So to see Inesh step up, to see Izzy, like you said, play out of position, she kind of played the one through four, because she was guarding some fours during this stretch. They got the job done without Drew and put them in a terrific position sitting in conference standings. So at that point, we'd already talked about this, but at that point, they were five and four as they got themselves ready for a date at Stanford in a place that Utah has not been successful lately at all. They have not won at Maples Pavilion. And in fact, going into that game, they'd lost the previous four games by, I believe, if I recall the number, upwards of 30 points per game in those games. And so, you know, you you knew it was going to be a difficult task coming in. And from the very get-go, Stanford kind of ran Utah off the floor, especially in that second quarter. The first quarter was fairly tight. You thought, hey, this, this might be a pretty good game. It also was the game that Drew Gilton came back, was on a minutes restriction. So you saw Drew kind of get integrated back into the offense, but then that second quarter hit, and it was it was all downhill from Utah. As Stanford, as we saw them do all year long, kind of ran away with it um, in that second half and blew out Utah 91 to 64 to take Utah to an even five and five record. A lot of Utah's losses this year was the amount of turnovers they had. Utah this game 20 turnovers, which led to Stanford getting 22 points. If you'll recall, Miley. 
There were so many times that Utah turned the basketball over above the break, which led to wide open layups. Whether it was through dribble handoffs, where they tried to hand it off to somebody, somebody would kind of read that screen, pick it off, and drive coast to coast. You can't do that against Stanford. Stanford's too lengthy, they're too quick, and if you're in and if you're in a track meet against them, you're never going to beat them. You talk about how Utah gave up a lot of turnovers above the break. So after they got blown out by Stanford, they go and play Cal on the same road trip. And that is exactly what happened. They continued to run their offense by dribbling to the wing. And Cal would jump that handoff and just go the other way, getting lots of points off of turnovers. Cal in the game forced Utah to 21 turnovers. So back-to-back games with 20-plus turnovers. And on those turnovers, Cal scored 22 points. That was the game at Cal. That was a really tough start for Utah. They trailed 11 to nothing out of the gates. And you got a little bit nervous because there just there was no movement offensively. Their first bucket, if I recall, was a layup by Deja Young. Check that. was a layup by Maka Jackson, followed by a bank three-pointer by Maka Jackson. And that was about it before Utah kind of got things going a little bit to end that first quarter. They trailed at the end of the first quarter, 22-11. to And I don't know if Lynn Roberts just had uh, flint and steel when she was in the huddle because she lit the fire within Utah to start that second quarter in which the Utes started the second quarter on a 17 to nothing run to regain the lead. They outscored the Bears 24 to 8 in that second quarter and and miraculously Miley. I don't know how they did it because it's just insane to think about that. Miraculously went into the half leading by 5 points. When they trailed by 11 points to start the first or to end the first quarter, I mean, it was honestly just a complete day and night difference, a tale of two completely different quarters before things kind of played a lot more even in that second half. Now, Miley, if you remember, that was a really good fourth quarter in which Utah led by five going into the fourth and final frame, and Cal scored the first six points of the quarter. And it was kind of back and forth from then as it was as the lead kept on shifting. But it was a huge three-pointer by Deja Young with under a minute left that gave Utah the lead back. And then a jumper by Leilani McIntosh to tie the ball game up. Gianna Neepkins would then miss the go-ahead layup, which took the game into overtime. And I think Gianna got a little bit of revenge after missing that layup that would have won them the game. Let's take a listen as we kind of go back and uh, let you listen to what happened in that overtime as as Utah secured their first Pac-12 overtime win in the Lynn Roberts era. Utah looking to run. They have numbers five on four. The drive, Neepkins to the basket, lays it home, plus the foul. Nobody was going to stop Gianna on that drive. She gives Utah the opportunity to take the lead with a three-point play chance here. Drew Gilton pushes it across to Peyton McFarland to the corner to Neepkins. Fires the left angle triple. Bang! Gianna Neepkins hits the left side three, and Utah regains the lead with 80 seconds remaining. 15 to shoot. Right side to Jada Curry. Has scored the last five for Cal. Goes left side to Leilani McIntosh to the free throw line to Delaya Daniels. Daniels drives in the paint. Trying to get it to Lutz Shipholt. Stripped from behind by Neepkins. Utah has the steal. Neepkins comes away with it. 52 seconds remaining. Utah leading by one with possession. Sidestep. Left side. Three-pointer. No good. Long rebound. McIntosh had it. They call the foul on. Leilani McIntosh, and it's going back to Utah. They're in the bonus. Wow. 
It's free throws for Utah following the miss. Leilani McIntosh fouls Gianna Neepkins and Gianna to the free throw line here for Utah with 23 seconds remaining. First free throw is good. Calm, cool, collected. The freshman hits the first of two. One more for Gianna. Good. Utah leads by three. Timeout taken by Cal. So Delea Daniels will inbound for Cal. Daniels holding. Gets it into Leilani McIntosh. Looking right side. Goes left side to Jada Curry. Dribbling to her left. Still dribbling. Stepping back. Driving the baseline. Kicking inside. Here's the layup by Lutza Shipholt. She missed it. A fight for the rebound. And Neepkins comes away with it. She's fouled and will go to the free throw line. Gianna Neepkins secures her ninth rebound of the game and can give Utah a two-possession lead with free throws on this trip to the line. 7.7 on the clock, free throws here for Gianna Neepkins. First, good. Clutch free throw by the freshman. Second free throw, good. 7.7 on the clock, 80-75. to 75. Utah with the lead. Jada Curry driving. Corner three on the way. No good. Tapped out. Utah gets the job done. They secure the victory as they knock off the Cal Bears in overtime. 80 to 75. An incredible finish here in overtime as Gianna Neepkins scores the final seven points. So Utah got the job done thanks to Gianna Neepkins. Terrific overtime period. Gianna finished that game. By scoring 21 points in the duo of the freshmen between she and Jada Curry in that one. And Utah got a huge win after trailing big. And they then again went above 500 on the regular season. I think what was impressive about this game was the play of Gianna. Going into this game, there was starting to become a debate of who should be Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, whether it be Gianna or Jada. So to see Gianna finish out the game in overtime as she did, scoring nine points, having two rebounds, then getting a block in the overtime to secure the win, I think that kind of tilted the edge Gianna's way of Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. And as we know, it was a battle that was going to be highly contested going into that Pac-12 tournament. But we will cross that bridge when we get to it because it sure was a fun discussion point. As, like you mentioned, Gianna Neepkins, that was kind of the start of it. That's kind of when you thought, okay, I'm pretty sure Gianna's got this in the bag. And as we saw, the media voted Jada Curry. But the coaches, the one that actually really matters, it was given to Gianna Neepkins. And so she earned Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, as well as First Team All-Pac-12, which was also a really, really cool thing in and of itself. And after that game, Utah improved 2-7-6 and six before they went back on the road into Southern California to take on the USC Trojans in what might have been the strangest game of the entire year to me. A lot of momentum for Utah going into it. They had just beaten this USC team in blowout fashion by 22 points. But you could see USC came in with a completely different game plan going into that one. They completely shut down Utah that Friday night and won wire to wire 83 to 62. However, Miley, you remember our fun discussion from that broadcast. We won the aggregate. We won the aggregate. We were having a nice little... (laughs) That's right. We were having a nice little back and forth with the USC SID. Big shout out to Darcy Couch, by the way, the SID over at USC, who we were having a fun little back and forth about how, hey, Utah still got the edge on the total points because they beat USC by 22. 
USC beat Utah by 21, which means Utah got the aggregate, baby. Wasn't that a fun discussion? As, as I know, you're you're sitting there just thinking of all the memories that come flooding back from that broadcast. That was probably one of the only positives coming from this game that Utah won the aggregate score because I don't think there was any positives that came from this USC game. Utah just played USC at home nine days prior to this. You come here thinking that USC is going to make it more of a game that's going to be a little closer, but the tables completely turned and USC dominated the whole game. And it was in part two, a second quarter in which they outscored Utah 26 to 4. Yeah, that was just, I remember that game being just atrocious shooting. And it kind of got me worried because I'm thinking, man, what's going on with this team? A team that had literally, like you just mentioned, blown out USC by 22 points a week and a half before this game. And they come out with this. It just, that to me was one of the most confusing games of the entire year. And that quarter that you just said, 26 to 4, we talked all season long. If you listen to our broadcast, Miley and I talked so much in the, uh, in the conference schedule about how Utah dominated second quarters. I can tell you what, they did not dominate second quarters that night. That whole entire stat from how Utah was outscoring opponents by nearly double digits the entire second quarter completely shifted after they went an atrocious 1 of 14 from the floor, only scoring, as you said, four points on one made shot in that second quarter. But Utah did have a chance to rebound against a very tough UCLA team just 36 hours later. And had they won that game, it would have been their first win against UCLA in the Lynn Roberts era since actually 2001. And if they would have got the job done, Miley, it would have been, as I know you remember, if you listen to our broadcasts, the first time that Utah got a win at Pauley since you were the ripe old age of six months old. This game was important to see how Utah could bounce back after the blowout loss against USC. They had a tough practice the day before leading into this UCLA game, which you got thrown into after that practice that you helped in almost the entire time. You could barely walk and you were out the rest of the night because (laughs) it, it was a hard practice. And usually teams don't practice that hard days between a game just because they want to save legs. But the performance at USC was not good. And they had a lot of things to fix going into this game against UCLA at Pauley. Now, a big caveat to this game as well was the re-emergence of Jenna Johnson. Jenna had a tremendous start to the year. Uh, If you recall, in non-conference play, she averaged just a little over 14 points per game, had a great first game against Stanford where she scored 15 points, but then she went seven straight games where she averaged just four points per game. Her field goal percentage dipped drastically, and she also had an injury with her foot in which she had to sit out that USC game in Southern California. So this was the return of Jenna Johnson. And not only was it the return of her physical presence, but it was, re- but it was the return of the absolute domination that we saw from Jenna to begin the season, in which she finished that UCLA game, uh, that UCLA game, scoring 20 points on five of 10 shooting, eight of eight from the foul line, and she just blew up to begin the season. But it all started with that U- uh, with that return game against UCLA, as Utah ran away with this one and got their first win at Poly Pavilion since Miley was six months old. The first. 
win in the Lynn Roberts era against the UCLA Bruins and gave Utah a little bit of extra motivation to end that season as they would then have to finish it off against Oregon and Oregon State. It did start out against the Oregon State Beavers at home back on February the 24th. Uh, now, if you remember that game, Miley, you and I had talked about leading into this one that I had no clue who Oregon State was. They had been through the ringer with injuries. Their big Taylor Jones had been out since the beginning of the season. You know, she was an all Pac-12 performer uh, the previous season. Just a terrific dominant post player. I, I had no idea who this Oregon State team was. They were losing games they shouldn't have lost. They were winning games they shouldn't have won. Then they came into Salt Lake City, and we just saw Utah come out with a tremendous game plan against Scott Rulick's team. And Utah, again, for the second straight game, Looked like they were back on that winning snide again and dominated the Oregon State Beavers. The game started by Drew getting a layup in the first minute of the game. And then she hit a deep three, the next possession. And then after that, Utah led the entire game. So this was another game on the season that Utah led from start to finish. Now, if you do remember, that was the game in the post-game show that we talked about Utah getting the win. If they did win, they'd move to 8-6. and six. They won. They moved to 8-6. and six, And it was the first time since joining the Pac-12 Conference that they finished the Pac-12 season with a winning record. And that's when we said on the post-game show that we were confident that this was a tournament team after that performance. Well, we talked with Coach Robert several times throughout the season. She said, typically in the Pac-12, if you're top five, top six, one of those top teams that you're going to get into the tournament. So getting this win and putting them in contention for a seed as high as two, if they could win against Oregon, possibly, it was basically guaranteed that they'd be making an appearance in the NCAA tournament. All right, so Utah improved to eight and six, and they then went into senior day. It was a Saturday afternoon matinee matchup with the Oregon Ducks looking for revenge against those Oregon Ducks. Peyton McFarland was back for that game. Remember, she was she she went down early in that game. Uh, now that was one that had a lot of implications for seedings going into that tournament. If you recall, Miley, I stayed up. In the wee hours of the night, the night before, trying to come up with all the different scenarios that could play out, there were 64 different scenarios that could play out, most of them being that Utah would either secure the five or the six seed, or if anything crazy happened, they could go all the way to two. It was a very, very slim chance, but a chance that if things played out the way they did, Utah could get the two seed. So they went to that final game with a lot on the line. Going into this final game, the only team that had their seed solidified was Stanford at one. The other seeds, two through 12, could fluctuate depending on who won and lost, but Stanford was the only one who had their seed determined already. Well, so Utah came in knowing that if they lost this game, Oregon would get the two seed, and Utah would then have to take either the five or the six, depending on what Colorado did. Colorado did beat Oregon State earlier that day, which meant that if Utah lost this game, that they would fall to six. And they fell to the Oregon Ducks, and along with it, they fell to the six seed, which put them in a first-round matchup in the 6-11 spot against Cal. Potential matchup if they were to win that game, move on to play the Washington State Cougars, a team they'd already beaten. So because of that loss, they fall to that six seed. I remember thinking after that game, you know what? This is actually a pretty decent spot for this Utah team. Not that they really wanted to fall at six, but you saw who the opponents were in front of them. 
and you thought, hey, if things play out, Utah has a good shot to go far in this tournament. How do you remember feeling about that as well? Did you kind of feel the same way that I did about, hey, this team, even though they fell to the sixth seed, they look like they have a really good shot of going far. Yeah, I remember during this game, the other games were all going on with the other teams. So by the end of the Utah game, we'd know what seed we were and who the matchups would be throughout the entire conference since we were the last game that Saturday. So we filled out the bracket of who was going to play who and all the matchups, and we looked at it and said, okay, yeah, six doesn't look great, it doesn't sound great, but this is probably the best path that Utah has to make a run. So their first matchup was going to be against Cal, who they had already beaten just the previous week, and then they were going to play Washington State if they won that first round, another team that they had already beat, and then potentially if they won that game, it would probably be against Oregon, who they had two extremely close games with. So again, six doesn't sound awesome because it's right in the middle of the pack, but this was the best route for Utah. And that does wrap up the 2021-2022 season for Utah. They do finish it above 500. They go 8-7 and seven in conference play. And with it, earning the sixth seed as they prepared for the Pac-12 tournament in what was going to be a truly, truly fun ride. Some, now, at the end of the season, the awards came out, and Utah was all over that award uh, all over that award list, including the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. We already talked about it, Jana Neepkins winning the Freshman of the Year, according to the coaches. Okay, the media voted Jada Curry. The coaches voted for Gianna Neepkins. With it came the first team All Pac-12 as well. Gianna Neepkins or uh, Kennedy McQueen joined the honorable mention team, and a player we have not mentioned yet, Jenna Johnson, who we talked about just a moment ago, finished that season incredibly strong. Um, was uh, was named to the All Freshman team as well. So Gianna and Jenna named to the All Freshman team. Kennedy named to uh, honorable mention, and Gianna All First and Gianna Neepkins All Pac-12 First Team, and truly getting the recognition that they deserved. So congratulations to the University of Utah. Finished the regular season in Pac-12 play with a winning record of eight and seven, the first time they'd ever done that since joining the Pac-12 conference in 2011. They were 8-7 and seven against Pac-12 opponents, so congratulations to them and to all the award winners as well. And you have to believe, Miley, that it does lead to what just happened to head coach Lynn Roberts last week as she was given an extension all the way through 2027. So congratulations not just to Utah basketball um, for the fact that they got the job done this year, but news being made this last week that head coach Lynn Roberts has earned a contract extension through 2027. So she's going to be leading this team for at least another five years. Coach Roberts and the adjustments that she made with her team this season to become that winning team allowed her to get this extension. As we finished out the season, Utah was the highest scoring team in the Pac-12, averaging almost 76 points per game. And then they also led the Pac-12 and made threes, three-point attempts, assists per game, free throws made, and free throw attempts. So you just look at the team that Utah was a season ago to what Coach Roberts helped them become this year as a well-deserved extension. So Coach Roberts with the extension. Coach, congratulations. Incredible. We're so, we're all super excited for head coach Lynn Roberts and the fact that she will be in Salt Lake for at least another five years. The Utes finished the regular season 17-10 and 10 overall, 8-7 and 7 in Pac-12 play. Coming up on our next episode of the What You Need to Know podcast, we'll go into the Pac-12 tournament And boy, oh boy, is it going to be a fun one to talk about. Cannot wait. 
uh, to talk about that with you. Now, a quick reminder that we will try to get a new episode of the What You Need to Know podcast out every single week with myself, Tyson Ewing, and my awesome analyst, Miley Enger. So make sure that you stay tuned for that each and every single Monday. For Miley Enger, I am Tyson Ewing. Thank you so very much for tuning in. This is the What You Need to Know podcast.